So welcome to um, All Anthrax's Gaming Facts. Hi. I'm talking about Spire. Um, <laughs> Hi, RPG pickers. You, you've, got to do it, you've got to do it in a Midlands accent, though. Yeah. All right. It's Cowan All Anthrax's Gaming Rexes or whatever it is. Wow. I'll point to Bonkses and make it a Titan. <laughs> Keep it high. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> do you do? <laughs> do you do? Hi, this is Steve, aka at All Anthar on Twitter, and here are some more of my gaming vexes. In this episode, we're going to be discussing The Spire, The City Must Fall RPG, written by Grant Howitt and Christopher Talbot, and published by their company Rowan, Rook and Deckard in 2018. The game describes itself as fantasy punk, depicting the struggles of a downtrodden underclass against an uncaring and despotic elite. The game plays with well-worn fantasy tropes, as in this case, the heroes are the shadow-dwelling drow, whilst the overlords are the cruel high elves or elfir who conquered the eponymous spire many years before. The drow resistance is joined under the banner of the Ministry of Our Hidden Mistress, a drow deity that has been outlawed by the elfir, with cells of ministers, the PCs, tasked by their magisters with missions to weaken and break the elfir stranglehold. Spire itself is a city soaring a mile into the sky, filled with a gaggle of strange and antagonistic groups such as the Bee Druids, the Solar Paladins and the Morticians. But Spire also plunges deep beneath the ground, with neighbourhoods such as the Industrial Works, the Disturbing Grist and finally Red Row, which borders on the heart, a chaotic pit of horror from which monsters emerge to terrorise the populace. The core book itself is a beautifully presented hardback, with striking and evocative artwork by Adrian Stone that gives it a very distinctive aesthetic. It's been joined by hardback supplement Strata, as well as a number of softback scenarios and additional character classes. The world has also spawned a companion game, Heart, that deals with the residents of the Pit of Darkness itself. At the time of recording, Rowan, Rook and Deckard have launched an already funded Kickstarter to produce a second hardback sourcebook, Sin, providing yet more detail on the city, more scenario ideas and more character classes. A group of us got together in the latter part of 2020 to play a series of Spire, some of us had been involved in the playtest of Heart, and I was keen to see if Spire could compete with the frankly bizarre stories that the Heart scene built for. In this episode, some of the players join me to reflect on our experience of playing Spire. Also, I was lucky enough to be able to persuade one of the game's authors, Grant Howitt, to come and talk about Spire, Heart and the upcoming Sin Sourcebook. It was fascinating to compare and contrast our experiences in the city with those of one of the creators. But before we get into that, I had a call in. Hi, Steve. It's uh, Graham Kinneber here. 
Uh, some of your listeners may know me from a few gaming forums, Discord channels, uh, and the like, uh, as Kenny Graham. Anyway, um, I've been meaning to send a message for quite some time, finally get around to doing so now. Uh, I just wanted to say that I do really enjoy the podcast. Um, you're 12 episodes in now, I believe, and uh, you're going strong. So keep up the good work. I enjoy everyone's contributions. Uh, just about, not so sure about that Sky Sky you've got on quite a lot, but yeah, everyone else seems uh, dead on. So yeah, well done, and I'm uh, looking forward to more. So just on the subject of complexity, which was the topic of your last podcast, I thought of some great contributions uh, from the panel. I didn't disagree with anything that they said, and I think everyone seems to be in broad agreement that complexity is not necessarily a bad thing. I think a useful way of thinking about it would be to look at your game, decide what are the most common activities uh, that happen within the game, assess how long it takes to resolve those activities using the, the, the rule set, and then the further judgment call is whether you felt that time was well spent um, or whether uh, it became perhaps tedious or repetitive for you. And I think if the answer uh, to that is yes, then you've probably got a game that is needlessly complex, uh, certainly for your own tastes. So just a final thought on complexity. Um, obviously, we're all looking forward to getting out of lockdown. That goes without say, and we're looking forward to getting around the table with our friends again and getting some good old-fashioned face-to-face gaming in again. But I'm just wondering, once uh, once we're uh, that becomes routine again, I wonder if we'll miss some of the automation that uh, virtual tabletops are providing just now. Um, we're all getting used to systems now which will resolve an attack, uh, generate the damage, perhaps generate a hit location, and uh, once we're back doing that stuff face-to-face, um, we might realise that the games we're playing are just slightly more complex than what we realised when played again in a face-to-face format. So um, I think that might be interesting. Thanks for the call in, Graham. Glad you're enjoying our rumblings on this thing. I think the tedium test is probably a good one. In games where combat is a key activity, such as RuneQuest, you perhaps don't mind spending a good portion of the session on it. But in other games, such as Liminal or perhaps Gumshoe, getting to the outcome of the combat is more interesting than playing through it blow by blow. In fact, Robin Law's quick shock system is an attempt to do just that, I think. With regard to whether we'll miss the automation provided by VTTs, I'm not sure, but like everybody else, I'm very keen to put it to the test. So thanks everybody for, for joining me to talk through our, our game of Spire, which is a fairly hallucinatory experience for all concerned, I think. Do you want to tell everybody who you are? Okay. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm Neil, also known as Old Scouser RPing, uh, because Twitter won't allow me to have Old Scouser role-playing because it's too long. I'm Andrew Doc Cowie, <laughs> otherwise known as Dr. Ray Cowie, or Dracowie, on Twitter. I'm uh, Dave Patterson. Uh, at Dave Patters on Twitter. Hi, I'm uh, Chris, Dirt the Dice from the Grognard Files podcast. Excellent. All right. Thanks, guys. The game also uh, included Martin, so uh, at mcookie123 on Twitter. But although he can't join us, he has sent his thoughts and uh, fairly detailed they were as well. Um, <laughs> it's not meant to be a review of 
spire as such really it's more about opportunity for us to talk about the the game overall i mean the, the scenario that that we we played together was uh, actually a published one one called idol on sky and the, the guys who publish spire uh, they don't publish scenarios as such what they tend to do is publish what they call uh, scenario frames which essentially are lists of um, npcs and events and potential happenings and then it's up to the gm to try and knit that together into some sort of a sort of a whole and to be able to manage this i will share this in the show notes i had to do a bit of a plan in terms of which locations various events happened in and, and how those various uh, storylines wove together but yeah so <clears throat> what are our thoughts about the uh, the setting of uh, of spire batshit crazy <laughs> probably sums it up I think the odd thing is if somebody actually explains it to you, you know, straight faced, it's sort of like, okay, there's a mile high skyscraper that's run by elves and the drow are the baddies, but you're the drow or are the elves the baddies? You know, that doesn't sound quite sort of odd, but actually when you get into the game, it's it's that much, much deeper and that much odder than that though, isn't it? There's so much more to be had from from what seems like a fairly sort of, simplistic kind of um setup which is a mile high skyscraper well You're yeah kind of i mean essentially what, yeah so obviously you've got the, the physical setting but then it, it's the idea is that you are freedom fighters the drow are trying to throw off the shackles of their elfier overlords so it sort of takes a little bit of you know the elves being the good guys if you like and turns that on his head but i think it's that whole this whole insurgency sort of thing going on because the, the, the title of the game is spy the city must fall what surprised me about it is that it's actually a urban fantasy isn't it it's um it's not uh set in a medieval mm. uh, a skyscraper when you mention elves and droves you immediately think you're going to be fighting with swords but you know i had a submachine gun and that was great <laughs> yeah and that just that just grew with that because that's not actually in the rules that was just something that sounded cool so we went with that one so yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> I, th- I think that was both its strength and possibly its weakness is the level of inventiveness. There was there were very few limits. You were, you know, uh, virtually anything you could think of could exist somewhere there. I think Martin said it very well. He, he was a bit concerned it could possibly be too much. He was worried that you might end up saying to his beleaguered GM, ah, yes, but down in the faded anthracite mines, I know there are the sorrow crows who have an aversion to lady who kills by beautiful poison and would aid us in infiltrating the palace of bone and sapphire. I mean, I've made up all these things and they sound plausibly spirish. And I think we started to push that button a little bit. And as GM, you had the Herculean task of managing it. Yeah, so I think you're right. I think that there is a huge, I mean, there are two books. I mean, you've got... um, You've got Spire and then you've got a follow-up book called Strata. And there are just so many ideas in there. So when I was actually looking at which scenario to run and really how that was going to play out, there was essentially you could have anything in there at all. I mean, we had, what did we have? We had flying uh, whales. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had manatees that you were riding around on. We had uh, somebody who had eyes inside cloaks. So it it starts off crazy. And I think if you get, a fevered enough group of imaginations together it becomes even more weird and unusual which is brilliant but also can be pretty challenging i mean i think if you were coming to this as your first rpg for example i can't imagine anyone ever would but if you just pick this up and thought this looks great mm-hmm. how do you think people would would cope with and, and manage that mm. As as a player well i suppose as a player you, you'd be guided by the gm i think the system is simple enough so I don't think there's any real challenge there. 
it's it's um it's just how it works thinking about your beats and um the things your character can do so each character has a set of ability to mm. you know to remember and to use them that that kind of thing. so it's the same in any game really I, I think perhaps the strangeness of it might be you know like if you've watched mm. critical role and then you come to play this you know it, it, it might be a bit of a bit of a challenge um i'm not sure yeah a, a new gm is probably not the place to start i would have thought i think i think it probably gives you that insight into what must the first people have made of D outside of the creators <laughs> you know because when you when you're sort of reading it you're sort of thinking okay so so essentially i'm i'm worshiping one-eyed goats that have a cat <laughs> fetish with you know diving suits full of bees yeah, how do you knit all that sort of thing together? I think it is, is is tough. I think it helped us this time around, having played the other heart. I think that was uh, possibly helped us out a little bit. But but this, I think, you just needed to. Uh, it, it's a bit. I found it a bit like the only thing I, I can compare it to is a bit like going skiing, where actually you just got to let yourself go. You know, the best thing for you to do is just just point yourself downhill and go for it. So in this instance, it's like right, I've got my character kind of worked out. Okay, what's happening next? Right, let's go. Push, let go, and, and away you go. I mean, I think in terms of the rules, like you said, they are very straightforward. So essentially, it's, it's you know four d ten, or you know a number of up to four d ten. You take the highest. Um, I mean, I actually bit, took a bit of a, a mashup of the spire system because the spire came out first, and then heart was the subsequent version. So actually, the rules that we played, so with character beats um, for which enable you to advance your character, that's taken from heart. So those were transplanted completely. And I think I know Chris, you had some thoughts about about that. I, I thought that was a good good mechanic. To, so at the start of each session each of us choose a beat that we want to hit during the session so that might be something as specific as dropping somebody from a high building mm-hmm. or to discover a place that you're gonna it's going to be named after you and those kind of things and i think that was really good and i really i really hooked into that and it really drove my character but i think what it ended up uh, it wasn't a very collegiate experience was mm. it we had of uh, different agendas and that that can be fun but i think that generated even more chaos in the narrative of what we were trying to achieve because we were all it, we, we split the party every single session i mean we started off time. together but it's, yeah at some <laughs> point we all pursued our individual agendas and i think it is uh, i think the way that uh, Martin described it has been haphazard, that mechanic. Mm. And it is, it needs a bit, something tighter around mm. it so that it encourages people mm. to cooperate, to achieve their individual beats and perhaps work that out, how you're going to do it during the session rather than just going off on your own and pursuing it. I mean, the way they talk about it in the book is that, that sort of um, the idea is you, you say generate your beats and then the, the GM is supposed to, it's supposed to help the GM to shape what the session is going to be like. So it's giving you opportunities to fulfil your beats. But and that that does put quite a bit of a load on the GM because you're often having to think quickly. It would be great if at the end of the previous session players chose their beats, but people just don't do that. You know, in reality, uh, even at the amazing chance that we had done that, it would still be incredibly difficult. If you know, if my two bite uh, beats that I'm looking for and I've warned you about are one slay a beast that's at least five times my size. Um, uh, and acquire a rare or powerful D12 value item, preferably magic. And those are my two bites, uh, uh, beats rather. And mm. everybody else has got beats as well. And trying to put that into something, I think must have been really, I mean, you did incredibly well 
trying to surf <laughs> on top of the, uh, you know you've got your plot and we've got and you've got 10 of these very disparate beats all coming in um uh, and sometimes it, you weren't sure whether to chase your beat aggressively and just mm. distract you know uh, or push the plot forward you're often you know how much gm time do you steal and and also i don't i don't know if as a player, you could pursue all beats because a lot of mine were connected to my master, to my character as mm. a, and a very subservient, you know, working from within the system, I guess. And some are obvious, you know, take a certain type of damage and stuff like that, and they're the ones you get mm. ticked off more quickly. But when it's, it's set, one of them, I think, was like, um, you know, something happened disobeying your master. Well, I suppose I could have gone to my said to you, I want to go and see him and ask him for something to do so I can disobey it. Mm. Or, you know, I think I was kind of waiting for that. But then that, that, yeah, I mean, that puts a huge amount on the GM to have to look at 10 different beats and each session think about how they're going to work them into uh, what's already very complex. And in reality, that didn't happen because I mean, I know that, for example, Martin didn't hit. Uh, beats sort of in, certainly in the early sessions um, just because the opportunities didn't come up um, and as you say you know your your character advancement such as it is 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 tied to that so I think if if you don't if you, the GM is, doesn't put the spotlight on those players then they're not going to get opportunities to advance I think in reality I mean I think we so we played for six sessions I think that's pretty much you know that that's the lifetime of a character because really once you've I, I don't think this game's set up for long-term play as such i mean you wouldn't expect you know multiple series i don't i, don't, I mean that's my perception of it. i don't know what you what you guys thought i think it's interesting because it's it's an unusual game mm. and because it's very much a sort of a it's only what a year two two years old i don't know mm, something like, yeah. I, I've, I've never had the chance to play it with somebody else gming mm. so, so my own experience my only experience is with you running it and I think the <laughs> Which way is probably that, atypical, way, to be honest. <laughs> uh, well, no, but, but I think that that's the thing. I think the, the way that you run it, actually, it, it does end up feeling like, even though you, it may not be your narrative or storyline, mm. you certainly still feel involved because it's, yeah, you know, I don't know. It, it's just it's just really good fun. You're listening to what everybody else is doing, and it might just be that as a, as a group of people, we seem to click and all kind of want to sort of have a, an unusual and different and fairly cinematic sort of yeah. storyline yeah. to follow. So I, it's, it's yeah. difficult to talk about it without referencing against somebody who might be a bit more, I don't know, strict and very, very linear as opposed to, you know, prone to flights of fantasy. It, it did work because, Steve, as GM, you embraced the chaos yeah. and you weren't trying to contain any of that. You kind of let us go with the things that we were trying to achieve. And I'd, I do think it does work, those individual agendas. It must have done because we had a great time mm. and a great deal of momentum yeah. to driving it. We were never stuck for anything to do. We, we, we were just <laughs> no. no. Filling, we filled every hour, every second with incident and, uh, you know, progressing our character. So it was doing something right. It just probably just needs containing, um, trapping a little, little I, bit I, to, to finesse it. Right. And I think sort of experience of playing heart, first of all. So we played the playtester heart and that is really out there weird stuff. So I think when I came into Spire, I was sort of, again, riffing off that. So we started off at a pretty high level of 
craziness, really, if you like, or like I say, hallucinatory approach to gaming. Um, but Psychedelia. I, yeah, but I, but I think, but again, you know, there's so much in the background that you, you can find, and it's it's a very permissive environment as much as pretty much anything goes. Um, so you caught with anything, you can get stuck in. But um, but then again, trying to when you tie it back into a game, the set, the, the, the actual rule set is very simple. Um, one of the things that I found was a little bit challenging was around um, Fallout. I know Martin sort of mentioned that he struggled with combat being very loosey goosey, and it was more based on you know scenes, and it, it was similar to. I think Blades in the Darks, it's more about stress and, you know, that sort of thing. And I think the authors have already sort of alluded to the fact that, although they came at the same time, there's is it uh, convergent evolution, or they both, you know, cross similar lines. I mean, what did you think about Fallout? I mean, so the experience of that, did it did it feel right? Did it feel like there was threat there? Or was it just too, too easy? It was often difficult to know. Um, I mean, my, you know, I got the quirk of... Essentially, uh, I went a bit odd and I became slightly anxious that uh, uh, people weren't real and I had to touch them uh, on the face to try and work out whether they're real or not. And um, that bounced between the two of us. And uh, and that actually became one of my, along with hitting things really hard, um, was basically my major character um, uh, 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 ability. (laughs) was freaking people out by touching them on the face and that was fallout and it was often difficult to tell the difference in terms of you know what makes a character more fun to play the fallout or the powers you get so i suppose that mm. can be a good thing i was just going to say there was a fair bit of rolling as well isn't there and because every time something something happens you take a bit of damage yeah roll to see whether you get major fallout and i think there was a fair bit of that which um I guess it's, again, it's no more than than in any other game. Um, but actually, I felt it seemed to me the um, so, some of them were worse than others, you know. Mm. Um, so when you get ones that start impacting upon like your minus two dice, and and the most you can have is four anyway, or something like that, you know, mm. those ones are quite debilitating. Whereas the one Doc's talking about, you know, having to touch, but yeah, it. it, it uh, actually, that I mean, that worked really well. That added a lot to the game, and and it did create situations, but it doesn't have that direct impact on your character when you want them to to do something that requires you to roll the dice. I was just going to bring up a point about stress. So before uh, Fallout, you incur stress, and one of my um, one of my core abilities was to lead from the front. So as a firebrand, uh, I. Uh, did better in stressful situations. So if I I got enhancements, increased the dice pool if I was in a stressed, I think, but it was on shadow stress. And I don't think during the whole time I experienced any shadow <laughs> stress. Up, stress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was trying my best to make myself as stressed <laughs> as possible, but I wasn't able to do it. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that I struggled with was around, um, so games like Scum and Villainy, or games like Blade in the Dark, where you have consequences. So you don't have hit points, you have a consequence. And I always found when I was so when I was running Scum and Villainy, for example, I just couldn't couldn't get my head. It was so too much hard work to come with consequences. So this is almost like a, a halfway house where you've actually got you know things built in. But I agree that some of them are much worse. Some of them are you know don't impact at all. Um, so it's it's not. I don't think it even pretends to be a balanced system. So yeah, but it, it was quite as you say, it's quite hard to. 
to, to strike that balance. Um, and I think you just have to just go with it mm. in most situations. So. Any thoughts about the system before we uh, move on? It was a system of generating fun things to happen. It was, you couldn't, mm. you know, I, I mean, being a heart of power gamer um, and minimaxer, you, you really can't do that with it at all. It's um, uh, it's very difficult to work out what is the most effective thing to do. Um, uh, and, mm. you know, what you end up doing is trying to think of the most entertaining thing to do and having five imaginative individuals around the table trying to think of the most imaginative thing to do all the time um, is just really tough. I mean, indeed, you get hit by something and you mark off mm. hit points. And you think, great, well, I know what the consequences of that are. But when you go into a fight here, you really don't know what's going to happen and you're having to tell us. So I think the system is, um, again, it, it, it's quite hard work. I think you're always on. You're always trying to, you know, you're listening to everybody and thinking, okay, how can I top that? Or mm. maybe I shouldn't top that. Uh, maybe we should be getting on with the plot. Maybe I should just shut up for half an hour. Yeah, the system, I think, was it, it, it enables a particular style of play, but it's not for the gamist. I, I, yeah, I, 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 think, I, think that's, I think that's absolutely right. I think what you do need, if it is you are planning on running uh, Spire or Heart or uh, whatever derivatives will come, I think you've got to choose the people who are going to play it quite carefully. And I think what what, yeah, what Doctor said is absolutely right. You, 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 it was a, it was, it was so much fun to play because you got five people, uh, six people, sorry, who are who are mm. desperate actually to make this as 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 fun and as you know as big a story as it possibly could. There, there was no way you could just say, well, okay, you know, I'll shoot. Them. <laughs> And that's it. <laughs> it's not well. Clearly, I'm going to kill them. It was no. What I'm going to do is I'm going to use my space manatee to ram it, and I'm going to kill it by ingesting flan or something. You know, and you can't just say it's exactly as Doc said. It's not okay. Well, that does one d8 damage. It's, well, okay. What what's actually set it in context? Go for yeah, it. Yeah. And it, and and actually, that yeah. that makes it very very challenging. I think when you finished. When we finished any of the sessions, I I did feel quite energized, but also a little bit yeah. mentally Knackered. exhausted. Yeah. And it for you, Steve, <laughs> it must have been definitely. an absolute nightmare because you've got to you've got to have the five combined insanities in into one sort of gaming experience. So uh, yeah, I, I love the sessions. I mean, normally, sort of my online gaming sessions are about yeah. three hours or thereabouts. After about two two and a quarter hours, yeah. I was I was done in most games, and we actually finished the sessions quite a lot shorter anyway. And and at the end, I'd think to myself, what actually happened in that session? So and much. there was so, often so much that we crammed into those two hours. But I think you're right, Dave. I think you know we and this is, this is going to sound terribly pretentious but i think we had six players who were very generous with each other or you know five players and a gm and i think we were we wanted it all to be good you know and it wasn't there were no you know with the exception honorable exception yourself there doc there were no power mm. gamers in there so nobody <laughs> <laughs> so, no, so nobody wanted to be any better it was about okay what's the what's the coolest thing we can do and how can we make this this really work and so you know um, going into it was I was very conscious I didn't want to say no very often I don't think I think we did I don't any of us did actually um, but yeah no it, it was it, it was fantastic I mean certainly at the start of this podcast I'm gonna have to sort of try and come up with a series of um, scenes and how it panned out uh -huh. it's gonna be really challenging to do that I'm not sure how we're gonna do it um, 
just make one more point about the yeah. uh, the, the, the mechanics. It, I, I find this with um, dice pool systems mm. that as players, you're trying to invent, aren't you, reasons to increase your ability. Mm. And the one that we struggled with in this was mm. uh, the domain one, wasn't it? So if you're in a particular domain, mm. um, you only had s- certain skills that you could access mm. uh, to create your dice pool, pool mm. with. So in a strange way, sometimes that inhibited our characters mm. and what they would do because we're, we're in a particular domain where we didn't function particularly well. So... And, and and the rules, if I'm right, Steve, they encourage you not to repeat the same skill, don't you? So if you if you're in the middle of combat, you need to come up with a different skill application. And um, so very much some of the some of the sometimes torturous um, <laughs> ways in which we contrived to put a dice in the pool is where that kind yeah. of madness yeah. came from, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. It was, it was, yeah. It was a game of strained yeah. rationale. Yeah. Can I talk to yeah. that or something like that? You know, I'm very good at conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and at some point, so I did try and um, put a, a map in there, even if it was a map in my own head. So, for example, when you attacked the or the mm. penthouse with a swan so the serial killer in it and essentially it's a long corridor with a you know and I, in my head i had a map i didn't have it on the screen but trying to get you guys to it, mm. it, it just it was really difficult because really the um so for example martin mm. said oh, i'm going to go down this side road and i thought well there's there's not a side route there but let's say there isn't and we'll do and so i think it was it, it was very very fluid and i think if you tried to if you weren't a gamer that was open to that um flexibility and you wanted well that wasn't there last you know last scene why is it there now yeah. i think you'd really struggle um yeah. but i think it was very much mm. it was very much like crest of a wave gaming wasn't it really so you just <laughs> you just got on the top and tried not to you know submerge and i don't think in any of the sessions i don't think any of us really sort of got crushed by the wave yeah. i think we all of us managed Surf to it, you know, like, get to like the end pros, of the session without really. uh, talking <laughs> about uh maps exactly. there though uh, one thing i did love was that map the the spire map i think that's absolutely fantastic i think just oh, yeah. that itself yeah, yeah. brings you know yeah. when you first see that i, I think that um that tells you mm. a lot about the type of game it is and the environment and you can look at yeah. some of the labels on there the places and the, the drawings and you, you know and that in itself just really gives you that uh, sense of place i think and it's a little bit abstract i know it's not entirely it does kind of map to the to, to the uh, the building mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that's something I really enjoy. I think that's that's. I mean, the the background I and mean, the books themselves are, are beautiful, and the, the words in there. There's so many. Every page or every 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 paragraph has got hooks in it. That map, as you say, there's just stuff on there that you could you could create adventures off. You know, it's 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 bursting with potential. Um, but I think you know, in terms of say, well, here's a great idea. How do I turn that into a game, and how do I make that playable? I think that's with that's with a real. The challenges because it was a challenging game i think to to run and play i think i'd certainly want to play it again i think there's you know we could think more about what i'd do differently next time i'd like to play heart actually the the, the final published version of heart because you know that would be <laughs> an experience yeah. i think you know it's, yeah. just, it's it's built around explore i mean it is yeah. of course it's mad but there is a bit of a structure. Mm. It comes with a map and it's got, you know, you're yeah. expanding out and you're trying to create your own things. So I think there are, in the, some ways, it's, you know, it's more of a, mm. a, a sandbox with guidance to it. Yeah. Where, there was that um, thing. 
sorry, there was that thing, wasn't there? Where new area, there was something you had to roll on, and, and it was, there was I, I can't quite remember now, but you, absolutely, there was that, and it was that kind of structure. Yeah. I guess kind of like you know, talking about forbidden lands as well. You know, that kind of going from where you where you start to the I guess where you might you, you know we can c- conclude in your quest, and it's what happens in between is kind of semi rant. I mean, Hart was, I thought Hart was, was mental, to be honest. <laughs> I thought it was written. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I think, it, you know, it, it is a lot more, mm. a lot more pr- process and procedure in it. Um, so I think it's almost like scenes that you mm. enjoy and then you link them up. Whereas I think with Spire, certainly the way that we experienced it, it was very much, mm. you know, seat of the pants stuff. Um, and as I say, I, I think a lot of it was down to, if not all of it was down to the, the play group. Um, so I'd certainly encourage people to, to pick up Spire. Cause I know Chris was at the end of last, no, the end of the year before last week, you said you'd bought Spire and you felt it was like a, was it a, a purchase that you didn't, you shouldn't have made. I don't know what you, what you think. Well, is it something you'd be wanting to run yourself now that you've uh, had a go? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it's, uh, it's been requested that, um, that I do it um, to, uh, cause I've been, uh, sharing the experiences obviously with people i've been speaking to and they find it amazing you know that we've managed to pack so much in there so there's quite a few people who are, are keen to play it with me i think uh it, it was good for me coming in as uh, almost like an outsider because my character was a bit of an outsider anyway the firebrand uh, uh foxy as we called him uh fox <laughs> the fox um and the your experience of playing heart together was good as well because it did a lot of foreshadowing for me. So I, it, the ghost of the adventures that you had in heart were haunting this uh, this, mm-hmm. this this uh, this this adventure we're having in the spire because I kept referring back to it. And of course, the characters that you played in heart returned at the end, and that was a, a lovely piece as well. And uh, it was that was good for me because. I did feel like a, a protagonist in an adventure where I joined uh, this group of uh, people. It's ongoing story. It is ongoing story, yeah. As so yeah. I was, I was an NPC <laughs> in your world almost. I think you're right. the The experience of Heart was a little bit like uh, yes. the film Apocalypse yeah. Now, <laughs> except we were the mad photographer <laughs> that Dennis Hopper plays at the end of it. You know, it, just blow your mind, man. Uh, <laughs> But and and, it, and it, I thought the whole thing was having when we first started playing Heart, and then subsequently when we started playing Spire. When we first started playing Heart, I thought within about the first half hour, what on earth am I doing here? <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. I'm used to making a moving and maneuver roll now. Uh, where where are my percentile dice? How many hit points have I got? And then, as we sort of talked about earlier on, eventually you sort of go, well, everybody else seems to be enjoying this. I'd better just kind of relax and <laughs> and sort of go for it. And and I, I can kind of sympathise with you a bit, Chris, about the you know joining in in with that group because it literally once you just sort of said, okay, right, I'm going to stop all this sort of looking at my character sheet and wondering which attribute am I going to use use next. And it was exactly what you were talking talking about which was okay so i'm in a domain i've got you know this is what's happening now this is the what sorts of things could i do okay i'm gonna go and do something bizarre and and just absolutely go with it and and i think that was the the lesson from heart was spire was slightly more restrained at first i think 
because it felt a little bit more structured. You know, there were physical buildings that you could you could influence as opposed to, you know, map reading mad men yeah. licking I mean, goats it, it, or whatever it was. It started saying. off really strange. It was <laughs> like when, when CSI Spire. We yeah. had a mystery to solve and how are we going to solve it? Yeah. So um no, we I did. think it um it, it linked together very well. The other thing you I think we learned from Hart was if in doubt, ask Steve, see what he says. Because mm. for instance, I was supposed to get a boat for one of my advances <laughs> and I got a baby sky whale. Because <laughs> exactly. so, that sounds cool. So learned, why wouldn't that's you? basically what to look for. Yeah, definitely. So if you were to pick sort of one one scene or one thing, uh, one highlight for your for your character, um, inspire what would it what would it be well i i, I think uh, for for my one uh, apart from the various and your, your character was grosser wasn't he so so i was grosser yes who had the sort of the the attributes of being able to turn pretty much anything disgusting into palatable meat and drink although that wasn't odd enough i didn't do that once i don't think throughout the entire sort of game i think the one bit for me was uh when we ransacked the presses Mm. Um, and had essentially defeated um, the the protagonist that we were sort of up against, or the antagonist we were up against, was then deciding, well, actually, do you know what? I'm going to kidnap him now. And as somebody said, you know, walking into the pub like Mister uh, Mister Orange in <laughs> Reservoir Dogs, you know, I've got a captive, and you could almost hear hear Jerry <laughs> Rafferty <laughs> starting up, could you? <laughs> Stuck in the middle, of the <laughs> uh, and, it, and that's when it all got really odd. So this all went weird from that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was a great uh, scene for for my character. So I was the firebrand, and I kind of modelled myself on a kind of a rock and roll star, and um, you know, sheer white with uh, red hair and uh, shirt <laughs> off. And uh, you know, one of my uh, abilities was to raise a cr- crowd. And I think, as Doc was saying, we were doing a CI. CSI mission, trying to investigate what was going on. And we were interviewing these ink hearts in the local pub and we set up some NPCs. And And then I think you described the torch as uh, the Daily Mail (laughs) of the Mm. uh, Elfia world. And that was a trigger for us to say, (laughs) let's take it down. Let's do what what tonight? Yeah, let's do it tonight. So um, whilst uh, Neil's character was uh, infiltrating and doing doing it the correct way is uh, a, a clandestine <laughs> and sneaking around. <laughs> Little did he know that a crowd walking outside with the firebrands and torches and uh, yeah. flags. I remember, I remember one scene where, where Foxy was standing on top of the on top of the press's shirt off, sort of ink, and just sort of basically screaming at the top of his voice <laughs> as, the, uh, as this, this place was burning down around his ears. That was uh, that was pretty good fun. That yeah, was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, slamming the slamming the um, my sledgehammer Enoch onto the presses and and then shattering it. And <laughs> and I think that's what we what because it was called the torch. We then called ourselves. Mm the snuff alliance because we snuffed out the uh torch that was kind of a running callback that we used throughout it and um yeah we set, we set up our own, uh, printing press and all that was just yeah. all that was just to hit beats but that, that whole that whole scene <laughs> and, i mean that was i mean all the sessions were great that was wasn't it the uh you know the whole thing in the torch and, and so much happened there because that was the first time uh irifax got a a, a, a um got to spy uh the, the uh, antagonist the uh, you know without giving too much away mm. and uh y- y- you know and and just the way it was woven together 
and uh, you know, it was all fleeing at the end, and things kind of still going wrong. And whatever. But it was, it was just fantastic. It was, it was a great session. I, as I remember, Neil was, go, you know, going back to that previous one. Neil's job was to infiltrate it. We were all bored and decided to set up a distraction. <laughs> and that's where that all came from. And then all the bad guys descended on us, all the tough guys. And my yeah. job was to stand in front of them and try and stop them killing Foxy. Um, uh, but so I did a lot of that. I did a lot of attempting. I felt I was attempting to absorb all the badness that we were sucking towards us. But I, I think the thing I probably remember the most was um, after I'd taken that fallout. Every you know, there were a couple of times where I felt I was I was role playing like an absolute champ, and you know I'd really got myself into this great position. And then he'd sort of look at me, raise an eyebrow, and say, uh, uh, "You sure he's real?" Sure, he's real, and I go, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, mm, "I don't think you are." And then all my brilliant ideas were just sort of descended to, "How am I going to touch this guy on the face without ruining the entire scene?" And that just it kept happening. I kept having setting it up, and your eyebrow would start twitching. You know, there was so every time your eyebrow started going, I'm like, "Okay, yeah. <laughs> now you got to play the crazy man." Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was good fun. The, the, the session that I I enjoyed all of them. Though. It was a fantastic experience. But the one I really yeah. enjoyed was the uh, the penultimate one. I think when we were doing it in flashback. So you guys, or some of you, had met up with the minister. So the minister was your, sort of led your cell, if you like. And the whole story was told that you were, you were being debriefed. And it was almost like flashback. And at the end, yeah. the characters from Heart, or the, the previous one, were all there. As, as the background or they were there as part of the um the throne division cell so you were given then the option of playing as them in the final session because they were a lot more combat oriented or playing as yourselves but i think without exception you all chose to play as your mm. current yeah. characters the spy characters which was brilliant um and uh yeah so that that was the one that i just for, for me Going into that, I was thinking, what happens if they die you know, before this? Yeah. But actually, it worked really, really well for me. Yeah, that uh, was brave. That was gonzo. Uh, but yeah, it's great. Um, was, I'll just push it out and see what happens. Let's just, just say, do the entire it's, thing. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> this could all go horribly wrong, but no, I really enjoyed it. And I think everyone everyone played to it as well, because everyone knew what was going on. Um, and everyone sort of played into it. And I think, you know, that was the uh, the, the um, that was the theme of the whole series, was that everybody was on the same page. You know, no matter how wild it got, we were all you and your knew it was going to come to a conclusion. I think some final points from you guys. So, so Chris, so obviously you're going to run, or you think about running Inspire. What are sort of the key things that you're going to take away from sort of playing as part of this group in terms of when you come to run it? Sort of in terms of things you will do, and perhaps things that you probably won't do. <laughs> I think the first thing is uh, to make sure that the players understand what they're getting themselves into, so that the group is the right group to play it uh, and what, and what mm. to expect from it. I do think I will take the uh, individual beat agendas as well, but I think I'm going to put some um, some limits around it. Um, so just give a certain pick list for certain sessions um, just to, to limit mm. it and um, make sure that the uh, players share those uh, before the session and come to some form of agreement before the session of which ones are going to pursue just so that everybody knows mm. I've got a broad idea of what's doing. Cause I do think, um, you know, as I say, it, it, as we said earlier on, I do think that some players find some players find difficulty with ambiguity, don't they? So it's, mm. if you, if you can help them through that, 
it will help the session. Uh, but I, I, def- I definitely want to do it, and I, I, I may even uh, use the same uh, campaign frame. Yeah, it's a good one. It's yeah. a good one. Yeah, it's uh, it's very enjoyable. Lots lots to get stuck into in that one. Yeah, I I think as I think as a GM, I I don't think I would find this uh, easy to run myself. I uh, it it would be I'd probably be a little bit as a GM like I was with mm. the players, sort of what the hell have I done? <laughs> and then hope to sort of grab on and onto everybody and sort of steer it in some sort of direction. So it could be quite, quite an interesting one. I think f- for me, I think that, you know, the, the, the thing is, I think everybody should have a go at it because it's, it does take, definitely takes you out of your comfort zone. And, and if like, like me, you play traditionally play safe with games that you've always known, as opposed to having a crack at something really weird and wonderful and modern. So I think that was a big, you know, that's. I think it's taught taught me to be a bit more expansive in the sorts of games that I might tackle as a GM. I think it would think actually moment, replay sure play with with smaller play group as well. Maybe with two players. I think maybe one or two. I mean, I think I don't sure how solo yeah, play would yeah. work. Well, not solo play, but you know, uh, one GM, one player. But I think perhaps two mm. people, two players. I'm not saying you should do, but I think it would probably work quite well with that because you've able to do I, small I'd, I'd sort of sessions. That. I think that'd be but, a lot uh, yeah. of weight to people because I mean, so. I, I, I agree with you. I think you know, maybe five was too many, but I think maybe three mm. might work out well because I think if you've only got one or two, and you're just trying to keep the, you know all these balls in the in the thing simultaneously, I think the fact we bounced off each other was really quite helpful. And it'd be interesting to do at a table as mm. well because it's always easier mm. to bounce off each other face to face. Can you just imagine the amount of dancing around yeah. if you did? Jump, people <laughs> yeah. standing up, jumping up. I'd, I'd have to the gym the whole thing standing up. Yeah. Would be great. <laughs> <laughs> we need we need a performance space. Hey, only you, really. Um, I mean, it's probably not a game I, I, I would ever run. I mean, uh, what what then the way you kept it going and responded in in session? Uh, you know, I know you've got your plan and and you kind of your themes and the, obviously the framework. The framework's one thing, but. Um, again second podcast i've mentioned this on but beyond the wall it's kind of like it's kind of like that it's framework of of a you know it's not a specific adventure few few pointers and 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 that was i've only just done a couple of sessions with that and i found that a real challenge to to stuff on the fly to Mm. be that responsive and that that creative and i suspect with practice you probably get better at it um but but it is definitely a challenge. I'm not sure it's probably a challenge too far for me. But uh, really enjoyed playing it. I'd definitely play it again. Yeah, I, I loved it, and I loved it. I think the you know, the, the play group was right. I think five mm-hmm. players for me was was good. I think it worked really well. Um, and yeah, I'm certainly uh, w- working my way through the list to get to uh, bring in uh, Fox, Irafax, Grocer, and the rest into uh, into into the heart. Just can can we just next? Before, so, before we go, we need to mention Martin, yeah. our absent friend, because I think of all of us, Martin was the most inventive with it yeah. because he seemed like somebody who was a resident of the spire. The way that he conjured up uh, ideas uh, for his character, and you must in the in the podcast share the plays that he devised for the, the critic. Because they they were just just <laughs> oh, yes, fantastically uh, inventive, and uh, <laughs> were, yeah. he brought some great puns to it as well. It, it's just the right group of people, and we all uh, yeah. And again, it sounds crap when we talk about it. it's you know it, 
role playing as, as performance. But that's what it was. I think at the end of the day, I think, again, if you try to explain to people, I'm going to try <laughs> to start book, to try and explain the whole experience would be yeah. extremely challenging. I think you just had to be mm. there, didn't you, really? Well, that's the, wonder, that's the wonderful one idea about this hobby, isn't it? We created yeah. it. It's gone. Yeah. It only exists yeah. because we it's created just, it and now yeah. it's gone. And all that, yeah. it, and it just yeah. exists in our, our in our it's memories. Free jazz. And, uh, we yeah. we'd never be able. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, it is. It's free jazz. You, know, you yeah. put everyone yeah. together. They improv. <laughs> they bounce off each other, and then, and also oh. best enjoyed when you're drunk. Otherwise enhanced, maybe. <laughs> so right. thanks very much for your time. Thanks you very much. And, uh, See you later yeah. on. Bye-bye. See you soon. Bye. 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 All right. Okay, so uh, welcome to, to Grant Howitt uh, from Rowan, Rook and Deckard. Uh, so Grant, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? I would love to. My name is Grant Howitt, as previously alluded to. I write role-playing games for a living. I've written uh, Spire, uh, as uh, as you've been listening to in this episode. I also wrote Heart, uh, which is kind of the, the successor to Spire. We've done games like, we've had Honey Heist, which is a game about, about being criminal bears, uh, an awful lot of games about criminal animals. That seems to be a popular theme. People like that. Uh, yeah. And and I just I've, I've I sort of blunder around East London in an increasingly small radius these days. Um, yeah, unfortunately, it just 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 sort of bumbling towards uh, towards role playing games, and I've been invited on the yeah. show. Excellent. So uh, yeah, I think writing role playing games is is probably a dream and a nightmare in a lot of ways. So dreaming in terms of uh, if you're doing what you love, but also the the challenge of getting what's in your head onto uh, papers or the or PDF so mm. people can uh, enjoy it. So as far as sort of Spire, Heart, the whole universe goes, mm. where, where did that come from? Warhammer 40,000. <laughs> Okay. All right. <laughs> I um I really so uh so the first thing which I ever really played the first tabletop game I ever played was Warhammer. Uh, technically Gotham uh-huh. Walker. I don't know. I don't uh-huh. I don't oh. know how in the know in war games this podcast audience oh, is. Oh, it's it's, it's, Gro- it's, it's Grognard, is. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Gorkham Walker. <clears throat> first the first thing I played was Gorkham Walker in '97. I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing about Gorkham Walker is it was a terrible game. I I really, I, I love the aesthetic. I love the sort of the conversion ideas behind it. I love the rule where you can, ha- the, the, the transport capacity of a truck is how many orcs you can stick on it. And if they fall off, they get hurt in game. Brilliant. Brilliant. Wonderful. <laughs> Huge fan. However, the most of Gorkham Walker was you, you made your truck go very fast. It, turned slightly too hard, all your boys fell off, and then the car carried on going. And so yeah. there was an awful lot of running around after after you. It, it was like, it was like if someone comes to pick Car- you up in a car. Carry on 40k. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like if someone comes to pick up in a car, and they just sort of accelerate maybe like three meters down the road when you, when you reach for the door. It was that, but in a, in a tabletop game. Yeah. So I started with that and I've always been really, um, I've always really admired the, uh, the, the setting of Warhammer 40,000 just for the, mm. the, the ridiculousness of it, the audacity of it, how big and grim and um, final everything is. I thought, mm. I think it was really fun. I always wanted, to, I played a lot of Dark Heresy when I was uh, uh, just after university. And I wanted to write again because I, I felt the Dark Heresy didn't quite, it didn't do the things I wanted to. So I started writing a Dark Heresy hack. And then flash forward about six years later, and I'm releasing the second source book for Spire. Fantastic. That, I mean, that, that's really interesting because that answers one of the questions that I had. So when we were 
you know, talking about our experience of the game, mm. the whole idea about um, rigid societies mm. and then weird fantasy with a, with a very strong political edge. Mm. I mean, I think, you know, when you talk about 40K as being not an influence, but one of the, so the, the seeds, if you like, of, of Spire and Heart, mm. that comes through because obviously those themes are, are very strongly within that. I mean, was that something that you particularly wanted to do with, with Spire? Maybe less so with Heart, but certainly with Spire to bring that whole political subversion. Oh, God, absolutely, yeah. Um, so, yeah. It, it was, so we we sort of cemented the idea that Spire, were, the Spire grew out of in the summer of 2016. And I don't know if you remember what happened in the summer of 2016, but just over half of our country uh, uh, voted to jettison our our, our island oh, from the EU. So I was yeah. I was a bit I, there was there yeah. was a I, I I went to bed thinking one thing and I woke up and like oh, turns out most of the people in this country are shit heels. So I was <laughs> I was quite frustrated about politics. But also like Trump was elected as well. Uh, yeah. So there was a lot of there was a lot of sensation of feeling really uh, frustrated with politics and not being able to make any sort of difference. And I was like, well, what if I could mm. write a role playing game? What if I work with Chris and co author? to write a role-playing game where you could make a change. And it wasn't like, okay, well, we're going to do it through 10 years of grassroots organization and a series of canny appointments to, to the city council. <laughs> no, 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 no. We've got some dynamite, and we're going to put it on a train. That sort of thing. It's a really big, over-the-top catharsis, I think, is what I ended yeah, up with. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think, I mean, that, obviously that, that, that drew. But in terms of the, sort of the weird fantasy mm. element i mean it'd be interesting to hear about when you play your home games or you know the play test mm. i mean how how weird does it does it get and try yeah keep it within sort of the bounds of taste i'm thinking <laughs> but because uh, <laughs> when, when we were playing and um we had because of the the, the open nature of the, of the mm. system and in terms of the um you know the, the the richness of the setting we got the sense that anything went and so we had people flying around on sky manatees because if you've got sky whales why wouldn't you have smaller sky manatees yeah, and so and just odds yeah exactly so i mean that's what that's where we went and we felt that it was maybe it wasn't i mean you're never true to the vision of the, of the, the right as soon as the, the, the game enters the, the wild people do what they like mm. with it but i just wonder how much that is your your view of how it we, we uh, so so just like to sort of to, to get ahead of this, I we wrote Spire with the understanding that you are going to change it for your own version of Spire. There are going to be different styles of like I, th I think the biggest thing which 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 we have is like what are the high elves like in your version of Spire, and then everyone has a slightly different brand of what they're like. Some of them are really sort of clever, some of them are stupid, some of them are evil, some of them are simply amoral or alien. And there's lots of different ways you can approach it and. I think especially with Heart as well, like when we wrote Heart, we wanted to make the like the idea of this world doesn't exist until your players and GM go and interact with it. We wrote that into the fiction itself, so the heart grows around mm. the explorers as they go down. Uh, in terms of weirdness, I tend to skew more towards um, unpleasantly real. Uh, it was like I, I, I'm a huge fan of sudden and upsetting violence in my games, and then and some light whimsy. I I don't tend to go in too much for um, sort of you know like like the the sky manatees end of the spectrum. Yeah, but, sure. Okay. But like really, it's the idea of Spire is there is a big fantasy city. There's a big hole in the like un underground where weirdness comes out of. 
And they mm-hmm. connected that hole through every district through a series of cursed train tunnels. So you can pretty put you can put whatever you want in it, and it'll be fine as long as there's a, like high elves in charge and dark elves not in charge. You're basically doing spire right. So like yeah. whatever. I mean, yeah. like uh, one of my favorite uh, things which someone came up with it was quite early on. Uh, the the North Docks is the area. It's it's it's, it's all run by uh, by like these, these crews of gangster knights who who, right. who own and operate yep. pubs. And they decided that all the gangster knights would ride a giant koi. And I'm like, hell yeah, that sounds great! I could I could imagine like the beautiful plumage coming off the koi. And like, yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought of it at all. But I think like a game is yeah, and that's that's where the no. sorry, that's where the sky mm, mm. came from, really, because he, he wanted a mount, but we were up in the docks <laughs> and thinking, well, how do you do that? So yeah, it's just what well, yeah. have, have what you like, yeah. really. Um, but yeah, so. And I think certainly when we played the the it was so Idol on Sky oh. obviously you'll be familiar because you oh. wrote it, um, but it was very much around the you know the serial killers oh. and that sort of thing. And I think you know we did it, it, because of the, the nature of the group I was playing with, we didn't dwell so much on the extreme upsetting violence or that was in there. Although although the goats did make an appearance. Yeah various points and i think that's something that really sticks with people that, that they're amazed by goats that have hands chris, for example chris hates those yeah. goats <laughs> chris so like i thought uh, like, so the reason why goats are in the game a friend of mine um was looking into the first spire kickstarter and she said that she would love to like she would love to 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 back at the level where you could become a god uh, and and we okay. would write up a set of miracles for you because she she really likes goats and I was like oh what a lovely idea I can have a few ideas about goats and then I realised that I oh, like she didn't have the money for it but I, I started writing it anyway and I realised that I could come up with like a page of solid jokes about goats and I was like oh we we can put it in we put it in the garden district in low society and Chris was like no we can't do that we're not putting this in the book these are stupid and I'm like, well, okay well, well what if you put it as an appendix He's like, right. okay if you say rumored goats of spire you can have it. <laughs> so eventually I brought him around and yeah, for some reason the community well, I mean it's really it's really fun to talk about. It's really, you know, so it's, it's a snacky little thing. The community really latched onto it. And we have and went crazy. We have since then, since uh since Strata, which is the first source book, mm-hmm. there has been a full mm-hmm. ban on all mentioning of goats in Spire products, <laughs> uh instituted by Christopher and also Sorry. The goat's out of the bag now. That's just going to go on forever. Yeah, now, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, we can we can keep adding goats to the fire, or we can or we we, <laughs> we can try and you know cut off oxygen to the goat fire, and so hopefully it'll die out. And like like we were quite keen to avoid similar things in uh, in heart. Uh, yeah, by sure. by not not but basically not having a mascot that you can look at and then ignore all the fact that it's supposed to be about overthrowing the government. It's like, oh, what if I was three goats yeah. in a trench coat? Piss off, play a different yeah. game. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, and I think that that's that's certainly. I mean, certainly from reading Strata and you know um, some of the other mm. publications, you can see that the the political so the, that that um, you know trying to overthrow that element of it seems to come through a lot more strongly. So it's almost like it starts off fairly whimsically, but you're trying to put a slightly harder edge to it. It, is that, it started is off that... as an espionage game because it, it arose out mm. of Dark Heresy, uh, which I view as a like. Mm. The the levels at which you're operating in Dark Heresy as a starting character up to oh, honestly for the entirety of your of your campaign of Dark Heresy uh, until you I think they had the yeah. Ascension book which let you level up and so that like, you wouldn't die when a when a heretic yeah. breathed on you but you are yeah. terrible at your job and you can't hit with your gun and that is like if you if you play it rules as written it's very easy to die. It's quite easy to mm. kill people if you can sneak up on them and it has this sort of yeah. really kind of tense almost like. 
there's a there's a wild west sort of element to it like i really hope no one pulls a gun here i like i really hope no one upsets the psyker because we can't get out of this alive and and the <laughs> idea of like like you have to operate undercover you have that like, because if people find out you're from the inquisition and they're looking into your stuff they'll kill you bury the bodies no one will find you and so we yeah. started out with the idea of of espionage and like the drow were uh were fighting against something we weren't quite sure what and i think it was on like the sixth or seventh draft of the game where i'd, I'd been continually trying to get so I, i'd a stat i'd like a, a number i suppose called control which was in the game for several iterations mm-hmm. and that was that was okay. uh so one of the things which really interests me i really i find small unit tactics really interesting and I find mm-hmm. the idea of, okay, so how are 10 people going to fight 300 people? It's like, well, we're not going to, we're going to fight four of them at once as hard as we can. And the idea yeah. of controlling things, of keeping, keep, keeping a head on your shoulders, keeping a situation under your, uh, under your control is something which really interested me. And so we were trying to get an espionage thing, kind of maybe like a SWAT team element. We had flashbangs, that sort of thing. And we realized that all this espionage wasn't for anything. It wasn't really doing anything you were just sort of serving your masters and it was then that chris had the idea what about revolution what if we were trying to overthrow something and so we were able to pull some of that back like you can see all of the um all of the mm, the minister uh, the minister of our of our hidden mistress advances are they're all quite mm. they're quite spy craft they're quite they're, they're secret communication there's passing as someone else there's there's like there's uh protecting a room or keeping someone trapped in a room, and like there was, mm. there was. Uh, I mean, there's even, there's even one like to, to brainwash, to brainwash your political enemies. You can, you can, you can do that. That's right. And so the the political side of things, I think, like as I as I've grown up, I've certainly become more comfortable with it. And like we have, I mean, we have, we have an old cops of bastards um, box out in sin. Like we are, we're like we like like we are like people are not evil. Systems can be evil. This is an evil system. Go set mm. it on fire. We've uh, we've mm. had a great deal of like of, of new writers come in as well to touch on that, and it's been it's been really cool. Yeah. To, yeah. To... So it's, it's obviously you know the, the game's been out there and you know, been obviously as successful because um, you, you know, and, and it's obviously something that you're expanding mm. and uncovering more of as you go forward. So in terms of you, you talked about the community play community already i mean do you get a lot of feedback or are you getting a lot of um sort of ideas mm. from them as well or is, is it sort of is it has it been as the direction altered based on you know what those play experiences have been like so it was really it was it was it was a really interesting situation which we ended up in after spy which one was she cultivated uh the game we released before spy was called unbound and it is a it's a, mm. a kind of a rules light cinematic tactical combat game with no particular setting and the idea is you build the setting as you go and i really like unbound we re-released it recently as an a5 but unfortunately yep. you can't sell it to anyone because when mm-hmm. they ask what the game's about, you'll be like, oh, well, firstly, punching, and then secondly, anything you want, which no, no one cares if you try <laughs> and sell on the game like that. But Spire had a um, Spire had a universe that came with it. It was the first time mm-hmm. which I had put out a game which had this really concrete universe, um, or, or like, concrete's not quite the right word, but uh, certainly something yes, defined. defined, evocative, um, extant, yeah. you know. Um, mm-hmm. And we left enough room that everyone who runs Spire changes it in some way. Uh, Chris and I run it differently. Mm. So like, like not just in terms of mechanics, where he uses vastly different mechanics that aren't published in the book. Um, but <laughs> like we have, 
Yeah. That's interesting. We can touch on mechanics in a second. But we have uh, we have different uh, different visions of Spire the same way. We have different visions of the heart the same way everyone else does. And we gave people license to make up their own stories in Spire, um, but crucially, a shared lexicon of um, iconic topics to discuss. And but no, like I don't mean iconic in an especially sort of glorifying way, but more like if you if there's been one player of spy, if there's two players of spy who'd never met, and they say, oh, so a carrion priest is running down the road, they'll have a rough idea of what a carrion priest looks like and what and what they do, and so with that mm-hmm. shared language, they can start they can start building it themselves, they can start making jokes, they can start sharing things that have inspired them, and gradually a like a community image of what spire is bubbles up to the surface and pretty much replaces ours which is which is great uh, because because like it's much less work for us primarily but also mm-hmm. those people feel engaged and excited about the world they've created because they made it and like we we sort of we yeah. gave them a suggestion for the shape and so with that yeah. with that uh, fan base we've had the with that community the discord's been really invaluable in, in terms of having a place where we can bring people to a space that we control completely pretty much mm-hmm. uh where people like it which is has like semi-permanent discussions and like we have we have enough room so it's kind of it's kind of easy enough to keep track of different threads yeah no i'll, I'll put a link to uh the yes, discord please do. in the uh um, in the show notes the, yeah, the playtests uh which we were able to do for heart <clears throat> we were able to do playtests off heart because we had that following for spire because we're able to tap into that and like the understanding that this is a thing that exists the people who wrote that thing you like like the uh did this new thing can you play it for us which made heart a much better game and a much more popular game even before it hit kickstarter we hit a we hit a tipping point with that with that level of support so like so the next thing which we release uh like the next the next core system we, we release will have the capacity to be much more thoroughly tested to 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 one from a quality control point of view but also just to get people excited and enthused about it so that when we do go to crowdfunding they're they're there shouting about the games because you, you obviously touched on the fact when you yourself and Chris run the mm. game, you do it differently, and and obviously the, the system oh, yeah. is, is light, so that makes it very accessible, which is which is good. Do you concern yourselves about about balance well, uh, within the games? Um, well, and and also, and you you talked about Chris using <laughs> perhaps different rules, maybe slightly crunchier, well, maybe. Um, I mean. And it seems like there are levers there that you can, can play with or dodge. Yeah. With, so. Uh, so, Chris, uh, I my favourite thing about Spire is the fallout. I really like it when mm-hmm. I, I really like when things go wrong for players because pretty much every role player is a mass. Every sorry, every good role player is a masochist. <laughs> uh, like it's <laughs> interesting it, failure. It is, it is exciting. Uh, it is exciting when these characters that we care about have bad things happen to them. I think that. And all, like a lot of the best moments in my games have come not from critical successes, but from when these fallouts have stacked up, when interesting things have come together, when people have come, when uh, characters have come together to solve problems. So I want as much fallout as possible. So I use the rules as written in Spire, which counts all the stress tracks together as one track for terms of determining fallout. Mm-hmm. Whereas Chris, Chris doesn't like making decisions very much, uh, and like he'd much rather that the players just talk to each other. Or like maybe he got to he, he got he got an NPC that he liked and was able to talk as their NPC for half an hour. So he treats all the stress tracks separately. Uh, each one mm. like rolling for fallout checking against solely the most recently accrued uh, stress, which for me is far too slow, and for him works perfectly. And I, I believe actually we, I think we stuck that in as an alternate but rules box out inspire. Now I think about it, when I played the game, I actually sort of mashed 
Hell yeah. we spire together. So we put the ca- the character beats from uh, mm. from heart into spire, just because that was a very interesting way of advancing characters and a little bit more yeah, codified. Yeah. So probably I'm more on the. Although I'm perfectly happy with a quite a, mm. sort of narrative system, having a, and some structure <laughs> helps because I think in a game which is any, mm. anything can happen, the the load on the GM is. Oh, incredibly oh hard. God, it's, it's exhausting running so, Spire. That's the other thing. <laughs> yeah, so 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 I struggle with Forge in mm. the Dark type games because it's the consequence can be mm. whatever you want it to be. So I love the Fallout in as much as it's a little mm. bit more codified. But I found that again, as you say, you know, the GM load was, yeah. was vast. Um, so like normally after two yeah. hours, I was. Like, I mean, that two hours had been absolutely jam packed with, with incident and event and hilarity. Oh, yeah. but yeah. Everybody, players, yeah, it, yourself, it, it, abs- it absolutely happens. So. I think like, it's, it's something something to do with the way that I write games. They, they, in the like, <laughs> almost all my one pages as well. If you try and run those for longer than two hours, yeah. you start to burn out, and it's like you can't sustain the pace of that stuff. Uh, I was yes. so I was raised on a game yeah. called Wushu, which I don't know. Like it's it's uh-huh. not it's not very popular, which is a damn shame. Uh, it's by a chap called okay. Dan Bain, and it is a doesn't. It doesn't have a setting or anything. The game is... Uh, the core mechanic is you roll the d6 under your stat, and then for every additional detail you add to your description, you grab another d6, and they all count. And you have you have like yeah. like okay. you have a dice cap between three and six details, depending on how climatic the scene is. And basically, it's pacing. But mm. there's no sort of like, oh, I'm I'm going to try and jump across this gap. Well, hang on, how far is the gap? Well, seven foot there. Oh, I'm going to roll. That's DC fourteen. Oh, hang on. But what about the wind? Oh yeah, the wind is blowing us up. DC seventeen. Oh no. I fa- okay. You know what? I'm not going to bother rolling. I'm just going to stand here. And it's like I jump across. <laughs> I jump across the gap. Get, pull out both my guns and shoot shoot a love heart into the window and fly through the plate glass and land on the vampire <laughs> and say, sucks to be you, buddy! And that's four dice. Go, fine, whatever. It all happens. <laughs> and so much of Spire, so much of the games which we make is like, yeah, okay, go! Yeah, sure, do it! We've got two hours. Like, we're not trying to... We don't try and... Uh, we try to say yes to players as much as possible in terms of, yeah, go on, do the thing. We're, like, we're, not, we're not trying to so much of D&D, so much of traditional role-playing, is you see all these cool things at, at levels like 14 and above, and no one ever gets there. Yeah, No one ever gets to do that. And yeah. so, oh, to hell with it. Go, do it, first level. And then play a different game. Yeah, I mean, I, I, pers- I mean, personally, I sort of tend to bounce between games that are quite, I don't know, high-level, mm-hmm. they're highly specified, so not Dungeons & Dragons, but probably something like um, mm. Forbidden Lands. Uh, Chris has played that, that but, yeah. yeah. So that which, which is pretty highly specified, because it's great, because you haven't got to as long as you know the rules, it's fairly yes. straightforward. I'm very impressed it, with everything you know. Free League can put out, to be honest, in in yeah, terms it's, of it's, being it's able to understand stuff, yeah. that core mechanic and then complicating that as much as you want. And then I bounce towards far more narrative games, like say Forge in the Dark. Not too much. I just mm. find it too exhausting. Whereas I think you know certainly Spire and Heart is okay. a bit of sweet spot for me. <clears throat> but it, but it's got mm-hmm. a cost that goes with that. Like, say you can only you can only yeah. manage a two hour session. You've had it. And I think you just need to, you need to recognise that up front, don't you? Really, when you when you're starting to play. I mean, what's really coming across is you've obviously got clearly got an ambition for the for the games that you're talking in this particular universe, mm. this world that you've created and heart, heart and spire. So we do. Yes, coming up. <laughs> So yeah, which is the second mm-hmm. source book for Spire. So so what's that about? What's, what's, what's that about? Excited about from a, so from we the best the people's favorite part of Spire, from what I can tell, is a the classes. So we've got more of those, and b the uh, the setting information. So we've got lots more of that. 
we've also uh, we've also mm-hmm. put in a few scenarios. Uh, Strata, uh, I I feel personally that we had too many scenarios in there. It was it was kind of it was kind of heavy at the back, and it meant that not everyone could perhaps use and enjoy all the scenarios. We had a, a, wonderful scenarios in there, but for me as a for me, as someone who reads and writes role-playing games, I think it's more useful for me to have setting information than it is a pre-written scenario. We've got three, we've boiled it down to three cracking scenarios, but we've got loads of setting information in there. The, uh, like the, my, some of the bits which were best received in Strata were the high and low society sections we had, which is basically a series of ideas and like horrible jokes. And so we've done that again. We've got in a bunch of new writers to to work with it. Like we haven't, uh, we had a load of different writers for the scenarios in Strata, and this time we've brought them in. We've handpicked people who we thought got it. I think like we weren't necessarily interested in whether people were experienced or whether or not they had loads of publishing credits to their name, but more whether they understood what Spire was. So the the chap mm. we uh, this is a chap called J- uh, J P Bradley who has uh, the only writing credit he's had before is for us writing a writing one of the scenarios in the mission book uh, sorry not mission book shadow operations yeah. and something yeah. about something about the way that he writes is like well he's got it. he understands the north docks perfectly he gets that he it, like he got the tone of it and so he's not the most experienced writer mm-hmm. but we're like well okay we need someone who can who can understand this and then impart that to the reader so we hired him to write the crime section and dude he's done he's got a full page of pub names all of which are jokes about genital it's great because <laughs> that's one of the things that really came out in uh, in the, the other books was the, uh, the having the charts in there so mm, you know just things mm. to roll against almost like an old yeah. school aesthetic in as much as having charts to roll and it really helped me as a GM so having a chart of, of club names involving <laughs> genitals to roll against that's it's dream, dream come we've true got, you know? uh, we have got, we've got a chap called uh, Bashir Gauss who's writing who, who wrote okay. the order section for us and Bashir Gauss knows an awful lot more about the military than I do so I should say it's crime order and religion are the three topics which we're focusing on uh and so yes we've got bashir okay. gauss who's done stuff about the different levels of criminality inspire and also because uh bashir is is non-white he is he, he's an arab gentleman i believe and so that's brought a mm-hmm. very different perspective to the way uh in which in, yeah. w- in which we write and then the religion section we've we've handed that over to an awful lot of different writers uh attempting to try like we've each we've given each writer a different faction or a different cult or a different god or goddess to write about and the challenge we have is stitching them together because we w- we want to make sure that it's a decent it's, it's not decent it's of the excellent quality which we hold ourselves to. uh and then it hangs yeah, together yeah. Uh, but we've got, yeah, it's just, it's been really interesting to bring in some different voices and bring in some, like some new, some people who wouldn't have, wouldn't have the opportunity to write necessarily in a hardcover book, uh, because they don't have the credits mm. and then, and then being able to pay mm. them uh, a fair wage and get some really interesting stuff. That's great. That sounds really good. And mm. you sort of talked about the, the classes. I mean, are, are these, are these sort of, niches or, or gaps do you think it's always a challenge to write classes so one of the things which we've done with uh which we did with spire is pretty much every class is, is tied to a geographical location within spire mm-hmm. and the ones which the ones which aren't um don't don't quite uh don't quite connect as well i feel and to that end if we want to have a class we've got to try and work out well well, well where are they from and spire despite the fact that it is I'm going to say, well, I think like we, we say it's a mile high, but that's more just like, yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah. It's big. It's, it's really big. Yeah, how big do you think it is? No, bigger than that. It's infinitely big inside, whatever. I don't care. Um, 
it's quite difficult to put an entirely new district in. So we're limited to mm. like now now we've got this established, now we've built the walls, we have to try and work out what we've got going on inside. Um and like the yeah. like we can move the setting on. So like say for example, the the inksmith from Strata, that was us that was sort of me and Chris thinking like, well we're we're really into pulp fiction, we're really into um like purple prose and hard boiled detective stories. What if that was popular inspired because now they've got the printing presses? And so we were able to take that and and, mm. and also sort of talk about well what is what is literature doing in terms of a broader audience? What if novelization was magic? What does that mean, and how does that reflect society? And the two the two um, classes we have coming up now, there's one which is the mortician executioner, and so they, they, they've already been referenced in Spire. Mm-hmm. They are the uh, yep. it's a joke I kind of regret making, uh, which is that it's it's illegal <laughs> to kill someone in Spire, even if you're the state. But if you declare them legally dead, you can correct the oversight with a gun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a clerical oversight. Uh, right. And yeah. oh man, because the, these guys are technically clerics, so I could probably use that joke at some point. I haven't put, I haven't put that in there. So, <laughs> so, so the Mortician Executioner is uh, like, we, we, we had them back in the first draft of Spire, back in the first draft of the core game, and we realized that like they were a bit, they're a bit mm. like cops. And also, they were a bit in charge, and we couldn't quite get the handle on what they wanted to do. And like, there were no, there were another combat class. And we've already got enough things about fighting, so we ended up shelving them and sort of shuffling out their abilities elsewhere. But we've come back to it now, and I'm really happy with the way that it's developed because we've got <sighs> declaring someone legally dead opens up a lot of really interesting gags. Like, um, so like their core mm-hmm. ability is declare this person dead, and then some of their low abilities are like, if someone's been declared legally dead, you can talk to them using a Ouija board. Which is very confusing for them, <laughs> but not directly. Even though they're well, that's, so that's, that's the thing. They, you can talk to them normally. That's absolutely fine. Like you can, you can go and speak to them, but you can now because yeah. they're legally dead. Distract them during a fight <laughs> with a Ouija board or a pendulum. Okay. Um, we've got and, and, like there's uh, various things like you okay. like you can you can make paperwork dry up for them. You can have like their their stairs license is no longer working. And so there's kind of a, like what, what we got to do is use that to talk about the idea of the, of personhood in the state. So it only works if the person is a registered citizen of Spire. Otherwise that doesn't work. And so like they can start using right, the city okay. against them. We can start, we can start saying what is a person? What isn't a person? What, what sort of discussions does that raise? But crucially, it's still a fun class. How dorky and strange can we make Judge Dread? Uh, the, the second <laughs> class is the yeah. what was called the God Hacker. Again, uh, an, adi- an, an initial draft from Spire, which we couldn't couldn't really work out. It didn't work. God, the God Hacker uh, is now the Gutter Cleric, and the Gutter Cleric um, they sort of acquire miracles from. Let's see if I remember the wording of it. Forbidden, dead, or merely unpopular gods, and it's all about like they've got this interesting blend of they get religious magic, so it has this flat stress cost off a dice, but you can choose to amp it up and get a more uh, effective spell out of that. And they allowed us to come up with a load of different gods, and we talk about like the old gods of the Elphir because they're forbidden. We start getting into like the high cosmology of the of the universe around the high advances and things like that. And so it's been fun to give us a means to play in like these non traditional non these parts of the setting which we haven't focused on a lot before, but in terms of rules rather than just having a fiction to go with it. Yeah, I mean, it feels like obviously it's almost like you're yeah. uncovering Easter eggs, so things that you've you've picked up in the first, you know, the inspiring strata, and then as I say, you, you know, you can you can see that you're you're trying to play with those. But it's interesting that in a in a game which is 
essentially very large mm. on systems. So 4D10, it sounds like you, you, you've quite yeah, keen on putting not subsystems in there as I well. I must say that there is, n- I loathe subsystems with a passion. Um, like everything, okay, okay. Uh, as, as much as we can, everything uses that roll 4D10. Uh, as much as this, like it's yeah. a, uh, yeah. it's 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 it's, it's yeah. kind of a Benoit of mine. So, so, so the level of, the level of of, of uh, complexity you've got in the rules is essentially that's what it is. It's never going to be. Yeah, I mean, I must say, it's really hard that. to write. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> this is like the simpler and cleaner a rule set is, the less room you have to maneuver. So, yeah, it is it is quite yeah. difficult to like to yeah. like have. Oh, I guess I guess it means you do slightly more damage in combat again because in Pathfinder. I guess you do slightly more damage in combat. I can think of ten ways off the top of my head to do that in Pathfinder, but not Inspire. Mm. And that's and that's it's a it's a challenge that we found ourselves with. But I, I think it's one I'm happy to have. Yeah, no, that's interesting. So it's, it's it's hard to write, but also more rewarding, but also probably more mm. challenging to play. But hopefully, equally as rewards, as you can do different things. So obviously, it sounds like you you know you're exploring both with Inspire, the the, the, um, mm. the fiction you're exploring it, so, you know, the story, and also in terms of who's mm. contributing to that. In terms of the the art and the look of the book, I mean, that's one of the things, really strong things that came through Inspire and Strata was the, mm. um, just the look of it and the, the iconography or the, the way it's presented. Is that going to be continued or are you, again, <clears throat> you're trying to do different things? Oh, no, we're, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to change a winning formula on that one. Uh, we've, we've still got Adrian Stone, uh, who's, who's doing all the illustrations. I think the, okay. Uh, the the biggest the the, the 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 most wonderful thing about about um, AD's work is that we so we commissioned him initially for Unbound, um, and because Unbound is a generic mm-hmm. game, uh, he did this really brisk, not abstract, but very um, very low detail style. So everything was these big shapes and lots of action scenes, lots of things going on, lots of stuff implied but not necessarily said, and that gave a like that opened up a realm in role-playing games, which I hadn't really seen before, which was they give you enough to insert yourself into the picture. And for Spire, which is a game mm. kind of about heroism in in a sort of no-one-knows-who-you-are-and-you'll-die-unremembered heroism sort of way. But there's this desire, I think, to put yourself into the role. And AD, did the, AD does that beautifully with his art for Spire. Uh, so, yeah, we've got him on board. He's doing all the illustrations. We have... We've got... Fantastic. Some of our stretch goals. Uh, we've got uh, we've got four maps, mm-hmm. um, which are stretch going, which are oh great. So I, I will say that the uh, the maps. Um, so mm. so I ran the, the game over roll twenty. So I had mm-hmm. uh, or actually it's on Foundry. Mm. So I had the uh, the great maps so that people could really zoom in. And the players, the, they thought they were yes. so evocative, interesting to look at. So, <laughs> when I was when I was boring them with my GM, I I find like so, instead, so the purpose for maps uh, for us are not to say okay how far away is this, but uh, more what sort of thing is here. And we're going, like we're going, mm. we're leading into that heavily. So I think the the the, the maps we've got, we, we're getting like a. Uh, so we have four different artists who we've who we've got uh, to do them with different styles. So we're doing the Hive, which is uh, Spire's premier prison. We have a pub yeah. crawl guide to the North Docks. We have a drawing of the uh, a map of the the five different chapels of the Solar Basilica, which is the state religion of Spire, and a fourth. Oh yes, a, a very detailed crumbling mansion in Red Row, which you can like. I, I want to have like a sexy Fantastic. party and a load of things to steal and NPCs to talk around, but like try and try and get like two or three scenarios on a single map and see if we can 
see if we can work that out. Because obviously the, the maps themselves, as you say, define mm. sort of the, the bounds of, of Spire. So really it's sort of taking yeah, segments yeah. and, and getting into that detail. We've got a, we're going to put in a quick, we've got a quick start and a, a GM's guide or Magister's guide as we're calling it. Okay. Um, in the stretch goals as well, uh, in terms, cause like there are, there, there have been, there have been demands for those, uh, from the community. Uh, and also like, mm. it's been, mm. it's been like four years, uh, three years. I don't know how many years it's been since we released Spire, but lots of people have played it and run it. And so there's a lot more wisdom around that now. Uh, so what I'm interested in doing is trying mm. to talk to people and collate some wisdom and understand what it takes to run an effective game of Spire, and then write that down and release it. The uh, ha- having having a having some stretch goals yeah. in place means that we can we can kind of pay for it up front, and because this is a source book, we mm. can like it. It doesn't feel too disparate. It feels like it's still part of the same project, but it means that we don't have to say gamble a, a load of my writing time uh some some new art uh having uh mina lay it all out for it not to sell we can get we can get that capital secured up front and then work from there and try and get some money on the long tail because i think you know so coming back to the, the gem thing i think that's that's a brilliant idea because i mean I, I don't i can't imagine this would be a game that emerald would pick up God, as their, their first God, I hope not. rpg maybe i don't know <laughs> but I mean, I certainly one of my players said, you know, if you come, if you came from Critical Role, certainly to the way I would spy, it'd be massive culture. Um, but maybe having a, a sort Absolutely, of a, yeah. a, you know, a GM's guy would open it out and make it a little bit more accessible for, you know, people perhaps more, to, more used to traditional. Absolutely. Maybe and like, and the quick start as well, um, having, having both like a set of sort of sawn off rules for players to reference and some pre-gen characters for people to explore, but also a setting, a, uh, an adventure which kind of, yeah. kind of acts as a, as a tutorial and a means of talking directly to the, to the yeah. GM and referencing things and say, okay, well, here's how he, like, that's the thing, yeah. like the GM section in heart. We, I think we came along a lot as writers. Uh, by the time we got to that. And so Heart's broken down into, yeah. this is your first time running Heart. If this is your first time running a story game, if this is your first time reading a role-playing game, and like there's a page where it, where it says, like, okay, you have to say where the yeah. game's taking place and how long it's going on for, and things like that, which no one really communicates. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think we can, I, I think we can make That's that in-ramp a lot easier. That's true. I mean, I will admit that so I ran the, the, the playtest for Heart, but, and I've backed the Kickstarter, but I haven't actually got around to running Heart in its like, actual incarnation. Uh, so I need to go back it's, at some point to, to, to It's do exhausting. That. Everyone dies. It's tragic. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, but, please. But it's fantastic. Listener, buy it. But I don't mind. I don't mind if you play it or not, as long as you buy it. That's the important thing. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Kickstarter, so it's, a, it's, yes, it's looking yes. at hard, another hardback book, quality uh, yeah. hardback book. How, how many page, what sort of page um, count I think it's going to be slightly longer than Strata ballpark. at this point. Yeah. Okay. An awful lot of indie game designers release quite small A5 softback books, and it doesn't matter what you put in them. They don't feel mm. as real as a large hardback A4 book. <laughs> they, they need yeah. Well, to be honest, most people just play from the PDFs anyway, so the books are just to look nice on the <laughs> shelf and to flick yes, through and go, so that's nice. It's a nice thing to have. So, Grant, that's been, that's been brilliant. That's a, a really interesting discussion, well, certainly from my perspective, about, uh, about Spire and Heart and all the craziness in your heads. If you're interested in picking up Spire or Heart, you can go to rrdgames.com, which is Rowan, Rick, and Deckard uh, Games, uh, and that has everything there for sale. However, crucially, we are now up to 52 one-page games. I've written one a month for, I believe, forever now um i am i'm shifting over to a new model where i'm collaborating with different authors which is really exciting um but if you're interested in getting 52 games for absolutely nothing 
you can do that through our website. So come along and see if there's anything you like. Who doesn't like free stuff? And who doesn't like free stuff? That's what I yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, you, you, you yeah, give us some money as well. Even better. Thanks for listening to another exploration of my gaming vexes. If you've got any thoughts you'd like to add to what you've heard here, or a gaming vex of your own you'd like to offer up for discussion, you can contact me on Twitter, at AllAnthar, or you can leave a voice message. The link's on the podcast webpage on Anchor, or can be found in the show notes. Until the next time, may all your games be free of vexatiousness, and be excellent to each other, always.